This is episode 151. What a fun time to bring you this episode. And uh, I understand that some of you might be listening to this episode, you know, a number of months later, maybe even a year or two years later. Um, so just, just so you know where we at, it is early June 2023. And a couple of weeks back, Irish Wildlife Trust launched a campaign to ask the Irish government to conduct feasibility study for reintroducing or restoring, should I say, uh, sturgeon into Irish water. It's a, it's a species of anadromous fish, uh, European sturgeon or Atlantic sturgeon. Um, uh, there are two of them. So, um, so they launched that campaign and probably a week later, or maybe two weeks later, ta-da, there's a big sturgeon found or caught, uh, they, I think it was found, it's not, I'm not clear at this moment, in the River Shur. It's like first time in 30 years sturgeon in Irish waters. And by the way, that river is the same river, river where in the 19th century was uh, big sturgeon female was caught, full of, uh, full of spawn. So this is the same river. 30 years later, massive sturgeon, not that massive, but a big sturgeon uh, found. So obviously cue the conspiracy theories. And um, a week later, I'm coming with this podcast uh, about Irish sturgeon. So I'm not a part of any conspiracy. I was trying to bring you that episode for about two years. I was working two years to get that episode, not constantly, but on and off. Uh, time by time after time, encouraged by listeners, especially by one listener. Shout out to Johnny. Uh, this episode is, uh, you know, happened thanks to you and thanks to, you know, reminding me and, and kind of like uh, encouraging me to do that episode. And the reason it took me so long is that it was really hard to find someone who could talk about sturgeon in Irish waters, right? Irish sturgeon. It wasn't Irish sturgeon. Like I said, it was either European or Atlantic sturgeon, but let's say, you know, sturgeon in I Irish or UK waters. And, you know, there are three pillars to my podcast, so to say. Like pillar number one is obviously to present balanced view on every story. So bring the, bring the voices and views from every side of, a, of every conservation or wildlife story. Um, pillar number two are scientific projects, scientific papers. You know, I recorded quite a few of those and a few more are already in a can. But the third pillar of the podcast that is not least, not less important, and probably it might turn out to be the most important uh, over time, is to preserve the knowledge of how the nature used to look like, to talk with people who had an opportunity to experience nature and, you know, how the natural environment looked like, um, that is gone now, just to preserve their knowledge, just preserve their experience. And this is one of those episodes. Um, so during attending one of the, those fish conferences, scientific conferences, uh, I got in touch with a gentleman named Declan Quigley. And I can only describe Declan as an independent researcher. He's an incredible person. He wrote over 460 articles and papers about uh, various species of fish and, and stuff like that. And, and he had uh, like an extensive knowledge and, and material related to sturgeon in Ireland. So that was a great opportunity. And I, you know, a uh, big thank you for, to Declan and to his wife for inviting me to his house in Wicklow. And uh, those of you who are going to watch this episode on YouTube, you can see uh, us sitting in the Declan's kitchen and talking about sturgeon in Ireland. So, as always, uh, you can access uh, those articles and papers and links to Irish Wildlife Trust blogs and all those things if you're a subscriber to my newsletter. The newsletter is for free. You can find the link in the description of this show. Go in there, uh, click on the link, newsletter.tomisoutdoors.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and in that newsletter, you're not only getting notifications about new episodes of the podcast, but you also are getting all those extra links and articles and announcements and other, other stuff that are related to what we talk on any given episode of the podcast, okay? So uh, subscribe to the newsletter. 
And yeah, uh, that's all for the introduction. Now all that's left is to invite you to enjoy the reminder of the episode of this podcast where I talk with Declan Quigley about sturgeon and Irish and UK waters for that matter about the, you know, whether it's really feasible or realistic to um, bring them back, uh, how it happened that they became extinct, um, problems with the sturgeon, like the hybridizations and, and many other interesting things. So I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. And yeah, that's it. Uh, enjoy. Declan, it is an absolute honor speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time and welcome to the show. Thank you, Tommy. You're very welcome to Wicklow. <laughs> Listen, when I was this episode, I wanted to do this episode for probably two years. And it was very hard to find anyone who knows anything about sturgeon in Ireland, about Irish sturgeon. And, you know, those fish are, I'm very careful using term extinct. I usually talk about extirpated, like wolves. They're being extirpated from Ireland. They're not extinct from Ireland. But I think that with, in case of sturgeon, it's more of a case that they're extinct because it was also very hard to find any information about sturgeon, which tells me that also that knowledge about the fish is getting extinct. So I am just delighted to be able to speak with you about those fantastic fish. Well, we have, uh, let's say sturgeon are a very ancient fish. Uh, they've been around since the time of the Jurassic, the dinosaurs, about 200 million years ago. And they are regarded as living fossils because they haven't changed their morphology very much over the last 200 million years. The fossil record verifies that. They're an ancient fish because uh, they also have an unusual, their, their, their brain is uh, not bony like a normal fish, right? It's cartilaginous like a shark. And they also have an notochord rather than vertebrae. And they have this unusual heterocircle tail. So at the moment, uh, it's reckoned that there's about 25 species of sturgeon that occur worldwide, mainly in temperate and tropical areas in, in the Northern Hemisphere only. Um, in Irish waters here in Northwest Europe, we have at least two species, uh, the European sturgeon and the Atlantic sturgeon, which is also found in North America. When I started looking at sturgeon, it must be, uh, I've been writing articles for 45 years now, and I've published more than 460 articles. But when I start looking at sturgeon, I was surprised that there were very few uh, references in the scientific literature about Irish sturgeon. So I found this unusual because it's such an iconic species that it generally tends to draw media attention if one is caught. So I decided to go and troll through the uh, Irish new newspaper archives um, back to 1738 um, and I came up with 243 records from Ireland. So I was able to carry out quite a lot of detailed analysis on that. And it was very surprising, the results, actually. Sturgeon in general um, are regarded as critically endangered species, uh, not just in Ireland here, but across the whole world. There is only one 
spawning population of European sturgeon left in Europe, and that's in the River Garonne in the Bay of Biscay. Whereas previously uh, they were known to spawn in the Rhine and the Elbe, but there is no evidence that they actually spawned in Irish waters or indeed in UK waters, uh, which is surprising because if they were spawning in the Rhine, you would imagine that they would have spawned here as well. I came up with about 75% of the sturgeon records from Ireland here uh, were all found in coastal waters. And about half of those were found in the Irish Sea. Um, only about 25% of the records were found in estuarine waters and very few actually, actually in fresh water. So there is no evidence that they actually spawned here, even though there was one exceptionally large female that was caught in the river uh, Shure uh, back in the 1840s uh, that was full of spawn. And the, the guy who found it, he actually remarked that there was enough eggs in that female uh, to supply the whole of that river system. <laughs> but uh, she'd not, she would have need to have found a suitable mate, and there weren't uh, very many of them around at the time either. Declan, tell me, are there spawning in the fresh water? Are they spawning in a, in a uh, salt water? Are they migrating? What's, uh, what's, their, what's their spawning uh, behavior? Most species of sturgeon are anadromous that is they're, they're like salmon they spawn in fresh water and they migrate to the sea to feed um, there are some species that occur in china that spend all of their life in fresh water um, but i say the most of them are are like a salmon they they spawn in fresh water and go to feed in the sea now even though there is no direct evidence that they spawned in Irish rivers, uh, sturgeon is a highly migratory species. Um, so the fish that we are, well, let's say the fish that we used to see in the Irish Sea uh, were basically probably coming from the Garonne and migrating northwards on a feeding migration. And I think they were attracted to the Irish Sea because they like shallow, sandy areas. There was quite a lot of records from Dundalk Bay where some of their favorite food occurs, which is cockles. Oh. Yeah, and also Dublin Bay. Um, this is going back to the 1800s again. I found some uh, references recently, actually, to sturgeon, well, what I, they weren't regarded as sturgeon. They were called, they thought they were salmon actually in the river in Limerick, the Shannon. Uh, one was four and a half meters long, uh, but it obviously wasn't a salmon. <laughs> Subsequently, <laughs> there was uh, a lot more uh, records recorded from the, the river Shannon, but not upstream of um, Limerick. So, Again, there's no evidence, as you would imagine, uh, that they, if they were caught further upstream, they, they would have made news. So the earliest records I've seen there is from the 12th century, uh, and they were mentioned in the Annals of Inish Fallon. Uh, it was 1115. Um, there's also a mural in uh, Clonmac Noise uh, showing a sturgeon, but again, there's no evidence that they actually were uh, captured there. It's probably they came from downstream in Limerick. Oh, okay. So it's possible uh, that uh, while sturgeon may have been exploring the estuaries that uh, they didn't go up any further, they were just feeding. Now, because it's regarded as a critically endangered species, it's a pan-European uh, species, if you like, even though it's not, if you like, doesn't spawn here, and some people might not regard it as native, but there's many species of fish that occur uh, in European waters, 
uh, that don't actually spawn here. For example, bluefin tuna, they migrate up to Norway and they go back to the Mediterranean or across to uh, the Western Atlantic to spawn. And you also have like many cetacean species that are protected in Irish waters, uh, which don't breed here. They they just migrate here as part of uh, their normal uh, feeding migration. And, and yet there's regarded technically as uh, native. Um, but basically, the sturgeon is native to Northwest Europe. It's not necessarily endemic to Ireland. Is it that there, there is a chance of seeing them again or is it in Ireland? Or is it like the population is gone, gone, and they have no chance to migrate? So Because I thought that they, there was like an Irish population, so-called, and then they got, you know, killed, overfished, whatever you want to call it, extinct. Is that the case? Or is it we still have a chance of actually seeing sturgeon in Irish waters potentially migrating from somewhere? As I say, there's one endemic population left in the River Garonne. Uh, most of the sturgeon populations that uh, frequented other European rivers are basically extinct. Uh, mainly due to the construction of barriers on the rivers, pollution, but primarily due to over-exploitation as well. Up until in 1977, there was about 38,000 tons of sturgeon, and that's all species of sturgeon, uh, wild sturgeon that were commercially harvested. Uh, but by 2011, that had dropped to 400 tons. And in the intervening years, uh, sturgeon farming has taken off. And there's at least 50,000 tons of sturgeon farmed worldwide now. Um, the French fisheries authorities have been attempting to breed the sturgeon in the River Garonne and release juveniles. And they were doing that up until about 2007. And they were expecting, if successful, that the adults would be returning last year uh, or from last year uh, because they're a very slow-growing fish. Uh, they don't mature until they're 15 or 16 years at least. Um, so it's a very long-term uh, project to try and reintroduce sturgeon uh successfully it seems anyway so hopefully if the Garonne uh, project is successful we will begin to see more sturgeon in Irish waters and further uh, further northward it would be nice to sort of think that we could uh, farm sturgeon here uh, for restocking but uh, it's hard to kind of argue the case when they were never regarded or is no evidence that they were actually spawning here but <clears throat> we do have some of the uh the largest and cleanest rivers in europe in ireland so it, it maybe it could become a, a donor population here now there's been lots of uh issues as well sturgeon are they can easily hybridize the species um, and farming of sturgeon has kind of crossbred various species basically because they give better growth rates okay and a lot of um, the smaller sturgeon end up in the pet trade when you put a sturgeon in your fish tank uh, and a year later uh, it might have gone in at five or six grams and it's uh, a kilo so they quickly outgrow their uh, their, their fish tank <laughs> aquarium, um, and I suppose people uh, don't want to kill the fish, so they may release it into the wild, and this can create lots of problems uh, if you're trying to introduce uh, or rehabilitate native sturgeon populations. Declan, I got to ask you about the sturgeon farming. We know what 
environmental problems are with salmon farming, with uh, sea lice and, and uh, waste and all that. Are there similar problems, environmental problems with sturgeon farming? Or is it like a little bit cleaner endeavor? Well, I'd be a little bit biased myself in answering that question because I'm a salmon farmer myself uh, and have been for most of my life. Um, but the sturgeon, uh, the farming of sturgeon uh, occurs in freshwater. So it's, there's much greater opportunity to control the uh, conditions within, within freshwater farms. Okay. So let's, uh, I haven't heard of anybody complaining about them. There aren't, it may seem like a lot of sturgeon, say 50,000 tons, but it's quite small compared to, say, over a million tons of farm salmon uh, worldwide. Um, so you need to kind of balance, uh, what the environmental impact is and uh, the possible uh, extinction of a species. Yeah, so you reckon that, this, that the sturgeon farming plays a role as a reservoir of uh, genes, so to say, for, for sturgeon and, and possible reintroductions to, to the wild. So unlike the salmon farming, the sturgeon farming could, could be regarded as a contributor to conservation is that is that right yeah absolutely uh sturgeon was mainly harvested <clears throat> for caviar which uh if you go into uh the airport now uh duty free you pay up to ten thousand euros per kilo for caviar so because of the high price of caviar there's a lot of pressure still on wild stocks, uh, obviously due to poaching. Uh, so if farm sturgeon can replace that demand, it will hopefully reduce the level of illegal fishing of uh, wild sturgeon in the future. That's what I would hope anyway. How does the, so you were talking about the population of sturgeon in Europe, in the, in the in European sturgeon. I know that there is a, like an active uh, recreational fishery of sturgeon in in Canada, in, in America. This is different species of sturgeon completely. Do you know how they're doing there? Is there is that is that population in a little bit better condition than in Europe? White sturgeon is uh, one of the biggest ones that actually occurs in the Pacific rivers, and it is uh, very popular with anglers. Again, a lot of the large rivers on the uh, Pacific side of uh, the of North America uh, have been highly developed for hydroelectric dams, and this has obviously caused issues for uh, upstream spawning uh, sturgeon. There, sturgeon have been introduced uh, into a lot of um, put and take fisheries in the UK. Uh, again, it's not really a natural environment for them. So, um, I used to be an angler myself, so I wouldn't be really attracted to fishing for sturgeon in a pond. I was fishing for them in a the pond in Poland for when I was starting with, with angling. So that I was starting in those, like you said, little ponds. And they were like those little sturgeons. They call it sturgeon. I think they're sterlet. Yeah, sterlet, yes. Yeah, but, you know, back then it was like, oh, you caught a sturgeon. And, you know, and I was looking at the at the magazines, angling magazines from Canada and see these massive fish. Like, no, this doesn't look like this. Yeah. Well, I, some anglers uh, have caught sturgeon in the River Severn, which is basically across the pond here from me. Uh, but most of them were found to be uh, hybrids, so they were uh, obviously escapees or uh, fish that had been released by uh, from aquaria, I would imagine, you know. There was one actually, uh, a small sturgeon, about 1.3 kilos, that was caught in Loch Ney in 2016. So uh, I haven't heard of the results yet as to whether it was a hybrid or a real European sturgeon. 
if it was to get up to Loch Ness, it would have to have passed up to the River Ban and all the fish passes on that system. So I kind of wondering maybe if it was all, it might have been uh, dumped in Loch Ness <laughs> That's uh, from, exactly. from a tank, you know. So, uh, but I haven't heard the full story yet. When was the last sturgeon caught in Ireland? What is like a last validated or the one that you would consider being a wild, like a 100% wild sturgeon? What year was it? Do you know? That was 1987. Oh. Yeah. May 1987, there was uh, sturgeon. It's about 10 kilo weight. She was caught off the Kish Lighthouse off Dublin Bay. And it was sold to Beshoffs, you know, fish traders. Um, I think it was around 900 pounds it made. Wow. So, um, and they in turn sold it on to uh, Whites on the Green, which is uh, an upmarket uh, restaurant in Dublin. And that was served up to the unsuspecting last consumers of uh, the last sturgeon <laughs> in Ireland. How did you get interested? How did you get, you know, like there is a little bit of a, you know, we, we really didn't start with introduction uh, about yourself. So you might use that opportunity to introduce yourself a little bit now. But how did you get interested in, in those fish? Because clearly you've seen the decline and and how the reports are being less and less of sightings and and right so you kind of like a witness the demise of sturgeon in ireland well as i said uh i was just curious why there was so few records in the scientific literature um and uh, as a fish biologist, I was always interested in sturgeon and reading uh, what sort of research was going on elsewhere in Europe. Um, I was particularly interested in the archaeological side of it because uh, at the end of the last ice age, uh, the Atlantic sturgeon, which is effectively native to uh, Labrador, Canada, um, it turned up in the Baltic and stopped natural uh, spawning populations in Baltic rivers, including Lake Ladoga. They seemed to displace the uh, European sturgeon when they arrived. And this was the end of the last ice age. So things were quite cold then. And of course, Canada is quite cold in that latitude. Uh, so it was a species that was able to push out the European sturgeon. Um, but eventually, as things warmed up, the climate warmed up, it appears that the European sturgeon started migrating further north and hybridized with the Atlantic sturgeon. And these hybrids uh, migrated further southwards into Biscay uh, because they have found archaeological remains of sturgeon uh, in various uh, Neolithic sites uh, and they were able to identify from the scales or the scutes um, whether or not they were European or Atlantic or hybrids. So there were a number of sturgeon uh, in the Natural History Museum in Dublin here that were caught. One was caught in uh, the Liffey in, in the Pool Beg salmon fishery in the Liffey back in the 1840s and another one uh, in the River Boyne just further north. Um, and there was a lady called Hannah from the University of Warsaw actually who took uh, samples from these, uh, both of these sturgeon for DNA analysis. And she discovered uh, fragments of the uh, Atlantic sturgeon, that's Asupincer oxyrhynchus, 
in the largest one from um, the River Liffey, whereas the river, the one from the River Boyne was uh, Kipenser Sturio, the uh, European sturgeon. So it wasn't 100% conclusive because the DNA uh, was quite degraded, but there was some evidence of the Atlantic sturgeon in that specimen. So I took some close-up photographs of the scutes and I sent them to the archaeologists down in France and in Spain who uh, were experts basically in identifying which species was which based on the scutes. And they uh, were of the opinion that it was European sturgeon, but it could also have been a hybrid. So my interest, I suppose, was uh, purely academic. Um, it's an iconic species. It's actually called Brodon Fiorna in Irish, whereas salmon is called Brodon. Um, and the the salmon has always been kind of revered in Ireland, whereas I think that the sturgeon is a good example, perhaps, of an iconic European species, not just EU, but it's also found in the Black Sea, uh, in the Mediterranean. So I think it would be a good sp species, like a symbol of European unity and uh, perhaps an even bigger EU in the future as well, where this species has occurred. Um, so I think, you know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, we've had so many changes in currency. Well, the salmon always featured on the coinage, uh, the two shilling uh, coin in Ireland. Um, so maybe there's a case of putting a sturgeon on our uh, coinage. Uh, and maybe our EU coinage. Oh, that would be great. I, I think that would be a great idea. Declan, tell me, like, when the sturgeon, were, when, at the time where the sightings or, or, or catching sturgeon was still, you know, going on in Ireland, were there any attempts to save the species, any attempts at, at conservation? Or was it just not a thing at the time and nobody was paying attention that there's less and less of them in the waters? There doesn't appear to have been any uh, attempts to save sturgeon uh, during the 19th century. Uh, it was just we suddenly woke up in the 20th century and uh, realized that this species was almost extinct. Uh, so apart from the French uh, and also now the Germans as well, uh, fisheries research, uh, they're the only programs that are, are actively uh, and practically uh, trying to uh, reintroduce European sturgeon. It's the same in the UK. There was, uh, I suppose, the Industrial Revolution there uh, that didn't help. Uh, and it's not just sturgeon, it affected lots of different species of fish. It's lots of species are coming and going, uh, becoming extinct, and we don't know about it. This that, just has to be one that we do know about. Yeah, that is the problem. That it's to some extent it is like what did we lo what did we lost that we don't even know that we lost it? Declan, um tell us a little bit about about the cultural and political uh, importance of, of a sturgeon uh, in the article you sent me and, and that we're going to link in the show notes. There is a story about the sturgeon being offered by one person to another as a political gift and something like that. So they had a clearly huge culture, cultural meaning and importance in Ireland. Yes, um, it was King Edward II in the 14th century, he uh, introduced an act uh, whereby all sturgeons 
were his if they were caught. So it does suggest that uh, the species was uh, not so common even then, right? But uh, it was a royal fish. It became a royal fish. And of significant political interest because at that stage Ireland was part of the United Kingdom and King Edward's II decree uh, also became part of Irish law if you like at the time and over the years uh, Sturgeon has featured a lot in political terms in Ireland as well as the UK of course but there is a story from 1608 when uh, the High King of uh, Donegal in his own peninsula, Cairo Doherty, um, he was meeting the, the mayor of Derry. And uh, the mayor of Derry, anyway, somehow insulted him. And uh, he went back in a rage to Inishone and... Um, he consulted with his elders and his more peaceful elders uh, suggested that uh, they might he might give a gift in uh, a peace offering if you like uh, to the mayor uh, and it so happened that there was a sturgeon caught at the same time so uh, he gave the sturgeon anyway to the mayor and uh, everything was okay for a while but then he came back and uh, he killed the mayor <laughs> and uh, then the mayor uh, the mayor's troops chased him back to Nishon and killed him <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh. so uh, it was um, so up until uh, the formation of the Irish Free State, uh, effectively all sturgeon that were caught in Ireland were uh, had to go to the, the reigning monarch in the UK. And this occurred quite frequently during the 19th century where uh, sturgeon were, a number of sturge, Irish sturgeon were uh, let's say, donated to Queen Elizabeth, for example. Um, and also to various uh, rulers uh, in Ireland, UK rulers, if you like, would be the Lord Lieutenants of Ireland. So if they weren't able to get it over to the Queen, uh, they would feast on it in Dublin Castle. So... When the Irish uh, Sairstort Erin uh, was established in 1922, uh, this, let's call it a tradition at this stage, seemed to kind of persist in Irish politics. I don't think they knew what to do uh, when the sturgeon was caught. But um, they, most of the sturgeon that were caught after 1922 were... Um, donated to the President of Ireland. And you had Sean T. O'Callaghan, and you had Eamon de Valera, and Carol O'Dalek, and Erskine Chillers, right up until, uh, you know, the 1970s. Uh, these sturgeon were uh, given to the President because they thought this is what should be done with it. Even Rishdard Murlkahi, who was the Lord Lieutenant uh, of the new Sayre's daughter, and, uh, he was presented with a sturgeon. There was another sturgeon caught around the same time, actually, and um, it was uh, presented to the Queen in, sorry, the King in London. Uh, it was caught in Irish waters, but it was caught by a UK trawler, and it was uh, landed into Swansea, so they weren't going to give it back to us <laughs> now the interesting thing about um, the sturgeon that were donated to the Irish presidents over the year years was that in most cases they uh, gave them to ecclesiastical institutions uh, rather than uh, 
having dinner up in Ars in Uchtron. Um But I, in hindsight, I was thinking the reason for that was that the ecclesiastical institutions were more powerful than the politicians. Right. So um, it would be very interesting to see uh, what they would do if another sturgeon was caught now. But, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, EU uh, law now, anyway, dictates that the sturgeon has to be released alive. So uh, maybe that solves the problems for the Irish government. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. That's it. What do you think? Like, why even, you know, the the thing that is hard to understand for me is like, why nobody was trying to protect the fish that was so important and so valued, the royal fish it was given as a gift. And surely people saw that the population is declining. And yet, no one done anything like I'm just wondering like why is it like just the mind frame at the time was not there or or like what what are your thoughts on this well I can only think that uh, in general terms uh, the fishery resources of Ireland were for generations uh, not considered to be important and it is still it's an ongoing debate uh, when Ireland joined the EU in 1973 uh, the fishermen didn't do very well out of it uh, in terms of quota and it's an ongoing issue uh, so I think that sturgeon uh, because they weren't so common and they weren't spawning here, uh, that really they, they didn't catch, uh, not the good word, I suppose, let's say, they weren't perceived, they weren't known to be uh, perhaps so critically endangered. Do you think it would be a good idea to have a sturgeon reintroduction project in Ireland? Or do you think because they probably never spawn here that it's not a good idea? Would you like to see that that sort of a project? You know, hypothetically speaking, I understand that there's like a literally zero chance of this happening in the near future. But there is a lot of talk about reintroducing species right now across the Europe and Ireland and the UK. Do you think it would be a good idea to try to reintroduce them to Ireland? Would you like to see that that project or do you think it's not a good idea? I wouldn't call it reintroduce. Uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, interest in rewilding uh, of lots of species in Europe. But I think even though the sturgeon uh, there is no evidence it spawned here. As I say, it's a pan-European species. So I think that every European country has perhaps a responsibility to ensure that uh, the species survives. And I think as part of that program, maybe there's a strong case uh, for Ireland to farm sturgeon for uh, rewilding, if you like. Rewilding the sea, not rewilding the river as such, but um, but we have some really good rivers here that would be suitable, I think. But uh, again, that's a political uh, question. Unfortunate. <laughs> this, is, this is the unfortunate bit about the the... the nature conservation that it often gets politicized and the arguments have nothing to do with actual ecological aspect of it it's more of a who and why and where yeah well if you take for example uh wild boar uh they were at one stage native to ireland or appear to have been anyway uh, and 
they were all hunted to extinction, like the the wolf as well. Um, we even had brown bears here and hyenas, and um, so I suppose some people wouldn't mind introducing wolves and uh, brown bears um, and <laughs> wolves. <laughs> dare I say it? But uh, you know, I think when they were here. We we weren't here a lot of cases, and uh, Ireland has is it's it's changed so much. It's um, I kind of leave that to the politicians to decide. Well, I don't know. There's nothing going to happen then. You know, there is an argument that when the when their wolves still were around in Ireland, there were apparently more people in Ireland than there is now. They just didn't have that many goddamn cars at the time. Yes, we had major emigration or uh during the uh the famine years, uh when we had twice as many or three times as many people living in Ireland. Um but I think the last wolf uh was shot in seventeen fifty six around that time. Um so I don't think people were too concerned about wolves at that stage. They just wanted to survive. Just to switch gears a little bit, tell me um, clearly over over your career as a as a as a fish biologist, as a person who is into the wildlife, you've seen you've seen the decline of the natural environment and species and fish stocks and all that. Can you can you give us like you know from the perspective of many decades of experience, you know? how what we see now compares to how the seas and rivers and, and, and waters in Ireland looked like, you know, 30, 40, even more years ago. How, how big was, is that decline? Well, when I was, uh, I suppose, in my teens, and that's going back over 50 years now, uh, there were major environmental issues in Ireland, uh, mostly pollution uh, caused by sewage and uh, uh, farming. Um, uh, I remember actually as a kid going up to Dublin and uh, he, he, the pong of the Liffey was incredibly bad. <laughs> um, but I think there's been a huge improvement actually uh, since the 1960s in Ireland uh, in terms of uh, water quality. There's still obviously issues, but there were lots of reports of fish kills every year across Ireland um, during the 70s, but that declined substantially during the 1980s. You still get occasional uh, kills, but I think that people in general are much more attuned now to the environment. I think that fish, if I just take fish, because people don't see them and they're not kind of cuddly, uh, they may, may, may not have been as aware of what species we had here and what were maybe endangered. We didn't know it because apart from salmon and trout, everything else was kind of considered to be almost inedible in Ireland, unlike in Poland where you eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a greater consciousness there. And one thing about fish is that different kind of from land animals, they, they're not restricted by political boundaries or jurisdictions. They move with the sea, they migrate, they may naturally repopulate areas. They're a little bit of an unknown. I mean, if you look at the number of land animals in Ireland here, I don't know, it's probably 30 or 40 species, mammals that is, uh, we have almost 600 species of fish that occur in Irish waters. And that's increasing every year. Now, these 
even this week, uh, there was a, a new species scientifically described from Irish waters. Um, my interest over the years has been uh, recording all of these unusual species because only about 20 of the 600 are commercially exploited and uh, they're the ones that receive all the scientific research. Nobody knows very much about the rest of them. And they're the, the kind of gaps that I'm trying to fill, and the sturgeon is one of those. Wow, that's a very important job that you're doing. And, you know, thank you for, for doing that. Um, Declan, what, like, if you would give an advice to, you know, young people and maybe a little older than young, but still young, what would be your advice for them? What should they do to ensure the, you know, continuous improvement of the state of the environment and fish? And like, what, what would be your advice for them, for the future generations? Look outside the box. That's, that's short and to the point. Yes. Um, I think that, as I say, there's huge opportunities there for the up and coming generation of biologists and fishery biologists in particular uh, to expand the amount of research in terms of species numbers. As I say, we, we know very little about most of them. So there is enough work there for generations ahead. Um, and I think to continue to create awareness of what species may be under threat and hopefully we may be able to save them in time maybe one day we'll see the sturgeon in irish waters again i look forward to having a meal in whites on the green someday <laughs> declan thank you very much i really appreciate your time it's been pleasure thank you tom thank you for listening if you enjoy the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show. 